Hello and welcome to another episode of Unboxing Women, where we explore why women in business are often called such a bitch, with a focus on the music and entertainment industry. My name is Dana Rex and with me is my friend Micah Rose, and we are both independent recording artists and singer-songwriters based in Europe. You can listen to us on our YouTube channel and on your favorite podcast platform. So today we have Matt with us, Matthew Parisi. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me on Hi. Um, here's a little intro about Matt. So after becoming obsessed with music at the age of 14, he quickly became an assistant at a local recording studio. And this landed him the opportunity to work as the head engineer for Mike Stock, who is UK's most successful songwriter and producer, by the way. And now he uh, has launched his own independent studio and works with singers and songwriters from around the world. So we, we kind of did this already, but I wasn't recording. So spoiler alert for the people listening. It's a bit weird for us. But hey, welcome to the pod, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, tell us a bit more about working with Mike and, and all the things leading up to now the launch of your own studio. Yes, yeah, so uh, Mike was great. That was a really uh, interesting time. So I worked for him for coming up to four years and that was a real baptism of fire because previous to that, I'd been, uh, uh, I'd been at, at, at uh, BIM, Brighton Institute of Modern Music. And there I'd got to work in some local studios, just bringing kind of uni bands. And previous to that, um, I was about 14 when I'd first entered a studio. And, and that was uh, this, this kind of basement in a theater and everything was stuck together with, with, tape and hope and desperation and somehow it worked and the, and the guy that ran it he he was great he was a guy called steve mcdaniel um shout out to his band solstice um real like just brilliant musicianship and and a real nurturing kind of nature um and there's a lot of us kids around sort of learning how the studio works and he was always putting these things together for you know, young musicians to come together and find a home outside of their home um so so from there went to uni and uh that experience enabled me to to work in the studios in brighton because uh i i kind of had an understanding of the of the software and, and knew how to plug things in um and that eventually after after studying about two years after studying i, I got uh an opportunity to go and meet mike uh, initially to um actually talk about helping him run his label um uh, and then I didn't get that job, but I found out a little while later he was looking for an engineer, and I emailed him and just said, "Well, actually, that's what I do, probably better than the 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 kind of business side of things." Um, you know, that's 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 kind of where where I'm at. So I came in and 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 spoke to him. So uh, I was actually coming up to a bit of a crisis moment. I was coming up to about 25, and I was saying to myself right, if I'm not full-time in the music industry, by the time I'm 25, I am quitting music and I'm going to go restudy. I'll do software engineering wow. or something like that. Yeah, I was, I was, I was um, just fed up with it all. And I was working at that time for Legal Aid, which is uh, like the UK's mm. yeah, legal kind of um, thing. And, you know, it was, I, was, I was just on the desk. I was, it was a part-time job or, or and, and I was just trying to get back into music. And yeah. Um, so this this thing came through and it was about you know a week or so before my 25th birthday and i messaged him and he messaged back and he said 
uh, yeah, why don't you come in on the 20th of March? Uh, we're doing a recording session then. Now, the 20th of, my, of March is my birthday. So <laughs> on my birthday, I go up to his uh, and we'd already met before. So so we we're just chatting and I took part in this um, recording session. And it was Nikki French, who was a Eurovision Song Contest um, a contestant from from years back for, for the UK. And so mm-hmm. we we did this and he and it's this interview lasted forever i was expecting to be there for about an hour or so and it was getting to like five six o'clock in in the evening i'm thinking wow. oh i'd like to spend a little bit of my birthday you know <laughs> celebrating it especially 25 is meant to be a, a biggish one quarter century yeah uh so we go to his office or one of the offices and we sit and we chat and he says, do you think you can run this? And I'm looking at this studio going, this stuff here, I don't even know what it does. Like, I wouldn't even know how to switch it on. But, you know, full <laughs> of uh, bravado and confidence, I go, yeah, sure. Like, I think I could, I could run this. He said yes. He yeah. said yes. Shook my hand, gave me the job that night. And uh, 25th birthday, I got my full-time job in the music industry. Oh, my God, that's amazing. I just said he said yes because uh, we have had talks before about women not um, going for it like like you just said you did. So yeah. when, when women feel a little bit insecure about something or doing something, they will basically say, oh, no, you know, I, I wouldn't know where to start. But you just said, oh, yeah, I, I, I can do this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, it's something I learned um, from my first job outside of university. So I was a, a headhunter uh, in an industry I knew nothing about. Um, I was a headhunter in the telecoms industry. And the reason I got that job was another kind of scenario where I was into um, – uh, my my then girlfriend at the time, she was part of their admin team and they needed a part-time person, just literally data entry stuff. So I'd come out of uni, I needed a job and I said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I was in there for about three weeks and I was listening to what the headhunters were doing and I thought, do you know, I'm going to chance my luck here. I went to a director <laughs> and I said, I want I to be a headhunter. I can yeah. do that. <laughs> I said, I want to be a headhunter. Wow. Um, and so they um denied and they said, yeah, okay, they gave me a desk and and trained me up and, and away I went. Now, I was rubbish at that. I was a rubbish headhunter. But one of the things, <laughs> ah, I just, I didn't like it. Um, it's not the industry for me. That's fine. Um, but I, one of the things I learned through headhunting, which I always thought was interesting, we had, um, it was mostly, you know, men doing the headhunting, but there were also, you know, a, a few women. And I learned in that office, just because my my then girlfriend was part of admin, the women were on a better basic wage than the men. And I thought that was really interesting because that's not the case generally. No. Um, but I, I, I also learned in that job that uh, when I was working with uh, female candidates, they were less likely to negotiate. When I was working with male nego- uh, male candidates, they didn't even think about negotiating. It's like that was part of the course. Of course, they negotiated. Of course, they were like, "I want higher than that. I want better than that. I want better than that." Um, whereas, mm-hmm. yeah, for the females, it, uh, for the for the for the women, it, it it I had to be the one to say, "Right, let's negotiate for better." Um, mm-hmm. And what I'd learned as the, the reason that the women in our office, I mean. They're very much the outliers 
you know, there is, this is very not the case in, in normal working situations. But the reason they were generally paid better was because, one, it's a really, really tough industry. I think as a female, you have to prove yourself 10 times more than a male to, to get into that kind of job. And so in doing so, the, the, the women that worked there had to have that kind of personality. It's like, no, I want more. No, I want more. No, I want more. No, I want more. So, right. you know, we're really talking about outliers uh, uh, in the way that those women sort of conducted their their business. But I've, I thought, I always thought that was really interesting. And I, and I thought what was even more interesting was picking up and even being told, you know, as, as a general rule, women don't negotiate so you have to make sure that you force them to so that they get a better salary because obviously we the, the better salary they got the better commission we got so we uh, always yes. wanted them to right. have much higher packages <laughs> much much higher salaries mm. um so i always thought that was that was really interesting and and um and not the contributing factor but i think a fairly major contributing factor uh in in why potentially women are paid uh less for the same job roles that that men are paid um for and it it can be down to to negotiating and and whether that's you know a characteristic or broad characteristic or whether that's a uh uh something that's like a learnt behavior i mean who knows i'm i'm not a psychologist or or an expert in this but it it was a very interesting early insight for me at a very basic level uh, to that disparity between men and women in, in the workplace. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a taught thing. Yeah, I think it's uh, that we're taught to just be happy with what we're given, basically, and, and not um, be annoying too much. <laughs> yeah. I think it's... Um, yeah. Honestly, yes, but I also think it's um, the values that women and men are taught. Like women are taught to value family, to value people, to value friendships, to value, you know, um, connections with people. And I don't know if that is maybe also a biological thing. I have no idea. But, you know, men are taught to value um, um, to value jobs, to value prestige, to value um, how people see you, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think based on how we are taught to value things, um, we go into negotiations differently. Um, that makes so sense. So basically, yeah, so a, a woman would go into a negotiation and maybe just not negotiate because she doesn't value money as much as a man does maybe or the prestige or doesn't have to be like, oh, no, but I am worth more because maybe she doesn't need that to validate who she is. Yeah, or maybe so that's also know. an aspect. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I think what's really interesting how you're saying about sort of these learned behaviors. I was, I, when I knew I was coming up to this podcast, you start kind of like evaluating yourself and evaluating your own sort of behaviors. And I know um, for me, when I've been, uh, whenever I've been in relationships and I've not been the bigger earner, it's never felt right it's never sat right with me because i'm like well i'm the man and i should be the provider and i should be the one that's the the bringing home the bacon as it were mm. um and 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 it's it's interesting that there's this kind of need to be the provider um i mean especially when 
I knew about Rafi and Rafi uh, was born, it was like a switch. It was like, I have to just make all the money in the world. I have to be a millionaire and I have to be a millionaire tomorrow. And if I'm not, I'm an absolute failure as a father. Huh. You know, there's, there's that kind of innate switch. And, I, and I, mm-hmm. that's not particular to me. A lot of men that I spoke with, especially men that are freelance or in, in business and then their situation changes and they're about to be a father, there's this almost blind panic um where uh they have to make money they they have to like and i actually became really obsessed with it for a while um to the point i don't mind admitting this to the point i actually went to see a therapist and um and had some real issues around finance and anxieties around money that i had to uh sort of sort out for myself and Mm. um and so you know i don't know whether that part is biological or that part is is uh uh, a learned behavior because um, I know growing up, I mean, my dad was quite a traditional man. Uh, he's a Sicilian background and, you know, it's very much the father is the keeper and the holder of the house. And, and, uh, but I didn't know actually for, um, quite a significant part of my, uh, probably my teenage kind of years, my mum was actually the main, main provider. And I didn't know that, you know, it was, and, and it was always an assumption Well, my dad is mm-hmm. the main provider. And then when I look back at it, it's of course, like my mum was the main provider. She was lecturing at a university level. And my dad uh, at that time um, had decided to, to step back and get a, a an easier job. Um, he was made redundant. And so he got an easier job. And when you, when you look at it as an adult, it's like, well, of course, mum was earning, mm-hmm. you know, way more than than he was but it's it's it was that assumption that i'd always grown up with that the 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 man has to be the provider um and it's that's not the case i mean we've we've sort of been forced into that situation now after having a child because um it would cost us as a household a lot uh, a lot more for me to go part-time uh than it did for my partner to go part-time um mm-hmm. so it was more of a financial sense and and you know there was there's the financial reasons but also um my partner did very very much make the decision that she wanted to be the primary caregiver um you know and and so it was lucky it was lucky that 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 kind of worked out you know and my feelings as well as i i wanted to be the provider and and you know, being someone that runs a business is it's a lot easier to actually generate more income. Whereas if you're working for yeah. PAY, that's you know, you yeah. get what you get no matter how hard you work. Yeah, uh, it's in true. most cases. So, so yeah, yeah so I, that 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 there's, I think there's like a maybe it's like a blend of both, or maybe it's completely one or the other. But there's there's definitely some parts where um, we're very much taught about our roles in a in a family as it were i i think Mm. anyway yeah definitely i think it's very interesting um and like i've had this discussion a lot of times with a lot of different people and i think at the end of the day what matters if as in any relationship you communicate with your partner and you figure out a way and as long as it works for you nobody else has to you know nobody else has the right to have an opinion exactly (laughs) like that's the thing. It's just, it's really interesting to see how these kind of taught beliefs uh, influence us on a really deep level. Mm. Um, and just becoming aware of that is um, just, I think it's really interesting. 
So, yeah. Yeah, I think with your dad also, it's a lot about perception. Um, as a child, obviously, you don't know what's going on. You don't know how big salaries are or are not or, you know, what people are actually doing for work, you know. Um, and I think it's it's a lot about the perception that is there, not only of, you know, the perception of you, Uh, son towards his father but also maybe the your friends or fa close family and what their parents are doing and what is going on there and I I definitely think that it's it's something that well is still you know we're still in a patriarchy so I think it's it's is just apparent from that and it's learned behavior I think in my opinion and I think it's great that you guys have put the question to yourselves and said Okay, so your wife said, I want to be the, the, the caregiver. And it's not that it was always going to be her because she's, she's the woman, you know. So I think it's, it's very healthy to have that balance of, okay, let's talk about this and let's see what is going on in our lives. Because obviously you have a very successful um, independent business of your own. And you can't just do that for half, half the time only, you know, you can't, you can't that's not how that works <laughs> people like, who own a business will know what i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's kind of a, it's, a, it's a child in itself <laughs> yeah it is yeah, yeah. I mean, talking about that though um what exactly like can you explain to us what what you do um on a daily basis like what yeah so um i mean it's changed quite a lot recently actually um so for the last kind of three years um so th this this whole business was started out of pure desperation <laughs> i finished my as most, uh, as most businesses do which is not the best way to start a business i've i've <laughs> since learned but it, it worked so thank goodness for that but um i finished at mike's and um i'd, I'd kind of spent nearly four years there and I thought right I've learned as much as I'm going to learn here and I got offered a contract to produce an album and uh, I'd been an engineer up to then but I've, I've always been interested in being a producer uh, and I'd done a few bits and pieces sort of on the weekends and after work and and so I got this contract through and then and at the time as well I got a contract to consult in the live industry and so um, I thought best time left uh mics did the album that was no problem that that kind of uh, every album has their story but it, it was done and it was fine and it all got finished off we went to abbey roads to finish it all off and wow. i was really about that that was really good fun and uh uh so that was done i'd been paid up for that i was utterly useless in the live industry consulting live life isn't my bag it's not something i've done a lot of it's not something i've worked in it was another one of those situations where i said yeah i'll do that uh and the world came crashing down around me so i ended that year with uh no job whatsoever and i'd finished being paid for the album and i had nothing going on whatsoever in terms of you know recording work so i'd, I'd never actually learned to kind of sell myself as a producer but i had this website and it was an old blog called studio chimp and i thought let's see if i can get some mixing work through that so i did that uh and luckily through a mutual contact i heard about a studio that was opening its doors and looking for another engineer so i messaged them and i said oh get me in 
and it was a two-hour drive to get to the studio the pay was absolutely rubbish uh but i took the job because it just meant i could stay in the studio uh whilst i was building up uh the the, the studio chimp side of things and the studio chimp was literally a name i come up with as a as a uh, a blog you know so I, I never meant it to be a recording studio i said like people started calling me the studio chimp and i, I was like i don't know if i 100% like that it's, uh, <laughs> it's a bit odd but you know once the name's stuck the name's stuck and you can't really get out of that so that's fine that, that is what it is but um so I was working from this studio and and still freelance and then I found out I could bring my own clients into the studio so I started doing that uh and working from people from what at the time was just my laptop and a small pair of tannoys uh just doing some mixes and bits and i sort of just build it up from there day by day so so i'm very much a music producer um i've luckily enough to just have a career working with loads of great musicians working on their their music uh and working with them to help them develop their careers now over um through that i got to working with a company called maz records which was um uh, which is patroned and set up by Robert Plant. And so I was working with them to mentor young artists into uh, entering the, the music industry. And that sort of got me thinking about the mentoring side and, the, and you know, coaching artists. And the feedback was always that I was like fairly good at that. And so that I've kind of been veering a little bit more to doing that with a, with a few people. And then... Uh, I started working with another artist about a year ago. We've developed nearly an album's worth of work. And um, we managed to strike a deal where I could work with her full time. And so I'm managing, running and consulting her entire career um, and working with her on the music and uh, getting, every, getting the whole team around her ready to launch, hopefully, later this year if all the, all the ducks are lined up. So that's what I'm doing now. And that's a complete change. That literally happened maybe two months ago. Yeah, um, it sounds very full on. Wow, yeah. It is very full on. Yeah, mm. life is quite hectic. But, you know, <laughs> life has always been, when I was working at the studios, I was doing a two-hour journey to the studio, and then it was 12 hours working there, two hours back. Wow. So, you know, it was a 16-hour round day, and I was doing that two or three times a week, coming to my studio, do my eight-hour day, go and have some dinner, put Rafi down to bed, come back in here, spend another three or four hours mixing. You know, so it is, it was, it's been pretty full on for the last three years. So actually in some ways it's calmed down because the hours are less, but the work <laughs> is a bit more intense. Yeah. Well, what were you saying with live? That you're, you're rubbish at live. What do you mean? Is that like the live circuit of producing or like doing live no, shows so, or something? Uh. Yeah, so we were looking to put on some festivals, and oh. I just bit off far more than I could chew. And, <laughs> I uh, mm. you know, and and you know, we, I went in there a little bit naive, a little bit wet behind the ears, and and I was kind of expecting a team that wasn't apparent, and so I was I was doing the job of about twenty, thirty people. Um, uh, I think uh, that's life for you. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. No, I got that. But also, you know, I was completely um, out of my depth uh, with that one. Uh, and another really good lesson I learned with that was to just be honest, because I went into a board meeting with with everyone there, held my hands up and I said, 
if we carry on with these festivals, we're going to lose hundreds of thousands of pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. And I said, so I'm advising you now to fire me. Um, <laughs> I'll help you clean up the mess. Um, we'll salvage what we can. Uh, but th this needs to not go ahead. And you know what? Wow. I, was, I was expecting the worst, but the CEO turned around to me and he shook my hand and he said, do you know what? You know, incompetence is seeing something going wrong and burying your head in the sand. Um, and so I appreciated that. He said the door's wide open. I'm not sure it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not sure it is. But it was it was a big life lesson. You know, stick to your path. Stick to what you know. Stick to uh, where your expertise are. Yeah, because yeah, well, that's um, interesting. I thought, because um, you said earlier when um, you went into that studio and you were like, oh, I didn't even know how to turn some of these things on. And you said yes, and you did it, and you obviously did great. Um, but then in live... Um, uh, you also said oh yes yes let's do this and then it fell apart around you like you said before and it's just I wanted to know how how did you deal with that how how like at the time was it like a huge thing or I, I mean I expect it was but um yeah it was very yeah. stressful um watching that all happen it was very like well, do you I know think... though I, I sorry, sorry go ahead. say <laughs> well i think if as long as you're acting with integrity and you're you're doing your best you know at, at one of the things when i was working with mike he's a very hot-headed guy i'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying that you know he's an 80s producer you know so very shouty very um and we'd get into arguments and and it would be a very hostile environment to work in sometimes um and but something he always said is like you know we're all in here to make a great record that's why we're all here and so i i think i what i took from that is like if, if everyone in the room has integrity and is trying their best to do the right thing and even if at that point the right thing was to turn around and say look this is failing we've got to stop yeah um mm -hmm. i think if everyone acts with integrity Okay, at the time it was stressful, but I think you can come out with it if your head held high and and oh, yeah. you know, I didn't. I, I lost think some more people should do that. More people should turn around and say, "Okay, look, I fucked up. Let's let's mm -hmm. change this out, or you know, do something." I th I think that would help a lot in in a lot of cases. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, as long as you don't hide it, like you know, the the, the problems come when you try to hide where everything's going wrong and mm -hmm. the reality is is if if you've got good people around you you might get bollocking you might get shouted at but you know whatever you know it's it, it's it's what are they going to do they're not going to hit you so <laughs> at least they shouldn't let's hope not yeah, let's hope mm. not um yeah i i've i also i think it helps a lot with um being able to um deal with it on your own like for yourself just being like well you know I, I acted in a way that I feel okay with or I don't feel ashamed of and I, I'm I'm you know I I was like you said in with integrity mm. um yeah. and I think that helps a lot with dealing with it afterwards if you if you go into something and you're just like lying your way through it and it all falls apart and then afterwards I don't know how how I would live with myself after that, honestly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it, it's it's definitely, um, yeah. As I say, 
yeah, I think everyone's just got active integrity, keep themselves honest. Um, yeah, I think not much more. And you were talking about this female artist that you're working with right now. Um, yes. I wanted to ask you if you would say you've worked with both genders equally or even maybe gender fluid people. Um, is there a visible ba balance difference between men and, and women that you've worked with? Um, do you know, what? I couldn't even tell you. I've worked with so many bloody people over the last few years. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you, um, I think because of the work with with Maz and through the studio, we get a lot of bands, we got a lot, a lot of artists. What I have tended to notice is I've worked, if I only look at the bands, it's pretty much exclusively men. And if I look at solo artists, it's probably 60% women, 40% men. Interesting. Um, so mostly mm. men in general, but this, when it comes to solo artists, more women for sure. Um, From my point of view, kind of working with Eva, I'm not sure I've personally found much of a difference, um, except maybe it takes me a little bit longer to be more comfortable with women than it does with men. Um, one of the things that kind of struck, struck me with the Me Too movement was the the kind of the the, the thing where it's not every woman but uh, not every man but every woman and and mm. um and i thought that's a great way to describe it because as a man you know i've i've never or at least never intended to act towards the women uh in a uh a sexually aggressive way um uh in in any kind of way and you know if i think about my friendship circle i couldn't imagine any of my male friends doing that or at least you know they certainly wouldn't admit to it uh if if they did and so you start going well you know what's what's the thing here like i certainly wouldn't act that way and i don't think any of my friends would act that way um and then who you start hearing <laughs> who is it who is who that man? is it <laughs> no where is he <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know but when you start hearing the stories you know from some sim simple things to being groped at when you're out or you know right up to to really kind of horrific things uh that I, you know you just wouldn't wish upon anyone um and you start to see how broad a problem that is and and i think that education has just made me sort of more aware when i'm working with a a, a female artist um for the first time and, and and just kind of being aware like you know you're you're a man in a situation where you have uh Uh, like a, I I I use the the word power position loosely. You know, I, I always like to think that even though I'm the producer and I'm sitting in the chair and I control the mouse, it's a collaboration. You know, we're working together to create the record. But you know, in, in all respects, I'm the one that sits there at the desk and kind of goes, right, do this, do this, do this, and gets the party going. Um, so there is a power position yeah and it's there. it's your place and you're you're, you're alone in your yeah. studio with yeah. this woman so it yeah, yeah there is i i totally yeah. get that yeah so so you are very aware of this um you know and and certainly when i'm working with people for the first time i don't know if it's noticeable i don't know if anything uh but i'm certainly on guard it not because of them but because of me i'm just like right 
I need them to feel comfortable for a lot of reasons because that's the producer's job is to make people feel comfortable around you. You have to learn how to do that very, very quickly. Uh, and I, I don't want them to be afraid of me in any kind of way. I mean, you know, I say this as a five foot three, you know, man, and I'm not an aggressive. I don't think I come across as aggressive or particularly even that demonstrative or even, uh, you know, I'm, I can be a bit of a wallflower and I'm more of an observer, you know, so I don't I, I don't think I come across like that. But you, you do become very aware um, yeah. of how you act around uh, women, whereas with men, I never feel that. You know, it's it's you know the pressure's off. If anything, if anything, it's like a dick swinging show. You know, it's like <laughs> it's anything. You're kind of trying to put them in their place and go, look, mate, you hide me. <laughs> so ah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> that's really interesting. Yeah, it is yeah, interesting. So, um, no, it's it's like checking checking your own behavior, like sure. just kind of like a um a thing that you're doing yourself, which is really cool. Um you know, checking your own behavior, but it does at some point, it can get quite, you can get quite anxious because um, it, it, it does build up pressure and it does kind of make you feel like, oh, God, do I have to be aware of this now? Do I have to be yeah. You get more aware of yourself and your body and you're just kind of anything you do. Um, so that's really interesting, yeah. Now, I was just going to bring it back to the kind of the not all men thing um, because I just saw a... a um, an Instagram post about the abortion laws in the USA. Um, and it said, um, one woman could sleep with a hundred men within term and still only carry one baby to full term. Right. And, uh, one man could sleep with a hundred women and, um, father off a hundred babies <laughs> basically. And that's kind of like the, the, what you were saying, like, Oh, I don't know uh, anybody in my thing, in my uh, group and stuff. And that's the thing. It doesn't have to be in your group of people. It just takes one. Yeah. And that, I think that brought it across a lot as well. The, the kind of, be, you know, he could father a hundred, a uh, hundred women, which means he could also assault a hundred women and therefore cause all these stories. Um, and that's that's why uh, a lot of people are like, oh, yes, it's not all men, but you still are wary um, because you don't know which one it is. Yeah, and exactly. I just thought that was a really kind of cool comparison. So, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I just wanted to say I've worked with Matt and he's super kind. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I felt super comfortable, and yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, working with you again sometime. So absolutely, oh, I highly recommend. Highly recommend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting point about you know the, the 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 one person affecting a lot of people, and I think this is potentially why. Um, women have struggled to be believed sometimes um because yes, you know, good point hopefully hopefully the majority of men would go well i would never do that i can't imagine any man mm. doing that no one you know we hope that that's the situation i, I don't mm. know i'm only one man in a world full of a lot of them so <laughs> <laughs> so we, we 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 do hope that no one will do that and so when someone accuses a, a man of doing xyz the the there may have been 
And again, I'm not a woman in that situation. I don't know. And I, I, I'm not an expert in this field, but it might be a reason as to why women might not be believed. And, you know, it might also be a reason as to why you, there's so much victim blaming, you know, it's, oh, well, you shouldn't have worn that skirt or you shouldn't have drunk that, you shouldn't have done that. Because a man goes, well, I, you know, the only reason I would ever do that is if I felt like I was being led on. It's like, well, actually, for the people that that do this, there is there is no leading on, and even if there is no leading on, there's no consent, you know. And and mm. uh, I I think, you know, maybe that's why women have struggled to be believed, or you know, maybe there's a certain element of misogyny throughout society. You know, it, it's I I wanted to tell this kind of really quick example because we were talking about how we learn things as as children um and we grew up with these kind of ideas just based on on, on our own parents so i grew up thinking that women didn't drive and it was a very bizarre thing to see women driving and the reason that was uh was my mum was blind so she never drove and so oh. in my head yeah in my head men drive the dad drives but the mother doesn't drive. And that's only because that was what was normal to me. Like the idea of my mum driving is just wouldn't happen, you know? So, um, and so growing up, it kind of, when I started, even if I was like in my friend's car and it was their mum driving, it would be like, oh, but this is weird. Like this is not, it's not normal for a woman to drive and women don't drive. And, you know, um, and that was completely something that I just, grew up believing based on the experiences that I had yeah yeah uh, that's super interesting and I I just to come back to your theory about why sometimes women might not be believed I think that's super interesting that is a point of view that we haven't heard yet well I mean I'm there just might be something in speaking that speaking out loud I'm, I'm not you know there might be there might there might not be there, it might be the case for a couple of people or a faction of them and then the other bit is you know uh you know a certain level of bigoted beliefs or misogyny or you know i, I don't know i think it's such a gray area of, with so many multifaceted reasons as to why things end up the way that they are yeah yeah uh, but i'm i'm hoping you know certainly for me the whole me too movement was an eye-opener uh, just to hear the stories of some of my friends and family and just be like, wow, I didn't even know that happened. And just knowing mm -hmm. that that happens makes you maybe more vigilant about it. You know, if you see it, um, I mean, I don't go out, so <laughs> I don't see it. But, you know, if, if you do see it, I, I'd like to hope that if I was in a situation and I saw it, I would stop it or, you know, at least make an attempt to, to kind of help. I, I guess one situation I do remember was being out in a club when I was very, very young and I was out with a group of, of friends and um, one of my, uh, uh, one of my female friends, she was being bothered like by this guy who kept kind of coming up to her and I clocked it and I just went and danced with her and, you know, and watched him kind of. We've sold. all been saved that way. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Thank you, well, Matt. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> It's it's just something when you kind of like think back and you think back to this Me Too movement and it's it's amazing how many women say, oh yeah, no, totally been in that situation where the guy just mm. won't go away and you're hoping one of your male friends clops it and comes and yeah. you know 
comes to the rescue and it should just never happen it should just never be the case but i was actually talking to a friend of mine just just uh two days ago not even two days ago and she works at a bar and um she still even though like she had a boyfriend for a while and now she's uh, not got a boyfriend anymore and she still tells people at the bar um who flirt with her who want her phone number she still just says i have a boyfriend because if she just says no it's a they won't take no for an answer and b um if they do say and if she keeps saying no i just don't want to give you my phone number they're going to be like oh why are you such a bitch and, yeah. blah, blah, and just start insulting her because she doesn't want anything to do with them yeah yeah it's easier Which to is, say uh, that you have a boyfriend yeah. it is and even yeah. even if you're not out with male friends and you have that guy that just won't quit I've I've even just turned to a stranger. Yeah, yes. just a stranger but any like who, guy will do. who's like normal and then you just say oh mm -hmm. hey and then you just uh, and then the other guy goes away and uh, and Yeah, it's, and it's, you hope that you don't have that other guy on you for the rest of the night because exactly. he's like oh I saved you now I need to oh, also, I, I yeah. have uh, yeah oh, uh, that that's happened to me whilst awesome. being out like someone perhaps like, because I'm so short I I feel like I'm not a threat so <laughs> but I've certainly had like you know someone turned around to me and just like oh hey and you know it's like it's a woman and and really? i'm sitting there going i have no idea what's going on here oh. uh, and you know they're chatting away and i'm chatting away a bit awkwardly and then you know they clock the person leaving and they go you know thanks that was blah 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 and you go oh yeah right okay you well see? But, you <laughs> it's <know>. happened twice <laughs> well, it's like sometimes you'll see in the bar like you know uh a sign you know or things you could order or there's that universal mm -hmm. ask symbolizer. angela oh is that what it is okay so oh, yeah i think in in, in the uk it's ask angela right okay or ask but, for angela yeah and the fact that that has to exist you know is is kind of mm. scary and i i i don't know what that is you know it's it's silly things like i i like reddit uh and there's this thing on there uh nice guys forum and uh, it's basically women and they take screenshots of conversations that they've had with men who have approached them randomly or sometimes it might be like a tinder thing or something and it ends up that you know the men are a bit creepy or a bit weird and they end up just going like you know no or just kind of saying no thanks or whatever and then it's like the tirade of abuse that comes afterwards. after that oh my god yeah, yeah. i don't understand it and and you know We've all been there. We've all been rejected by women, and especially when I had or to. Or men. Like, or men. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, like as, as a as a guy, it's like if you get rejected by someone, it, I don't know. Like what what how how much of your entire self was relied on this person accepting you as their partner? You know, it's 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 it's. It's, it's a bizarre sort of overreaction and, and I, you've got to wonder where that comes from. Uh, I think I, I saw it on another one of your podcasts and it reminds me of these kind of conversations that you see so often on, on these, these uh, forums and it's, you know, I don't want to sleep with you. You are a whore. And it's like that, that doesn't equate. Like, yeah, that doesn't even make sense. It doesn't. Yeah. I love it. I love it when they say, I, I don't want to sleep with you. And then all of a sudden you're a whore. I know I, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense whatsoever. 
Not in the but slightest. it is very refreshing or uh, heartening to hear you say you don't know what the fuck is going on either. <laughs> it means that they're not normal. No, yeah. they're, they're really not. <laughs> and if, in fact, like if if anything, as a guy representing men on this podcast, I'd like to say on behalf of all men, we're really sorry for those people. Like, Aww, they do so not nice. represent us. <laughs> like, at least I hope they don't represent us. It just seems that, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? When, when every woman, you know, for the most part, certainly the vast, vast, vast majority, when, when, when every woman's experienced, you know, um, either sexual aggression or, or some kind of sexual assault or, you know, even being, groped whilst whilst you're out or or anything like it it's it's not hard then to understand that there would be this at least some level of wariness when it comes to meeting a new man for any situation whether it's a you know you you're working in the same office or you're meeting for a day or you're just kind of part of the same friendship circle or you know it's it's and i think as 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 guys we just have to accept that and kind of roll with it and just be like well you know look it's you 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 never want someone's first impression of you or someone to be wary around you but you kind of just have to accept that they uh, when you're working with someone new they might be and and it's it's yeah because of their past experiences yeah Yeah, it's 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 not a reflection on you that's the thing that a lot of um a lot of people also um fail to understand the the way women act around men a lot of the time if they're wary and if they're you know if they don't feel safe it's not a reflection on you personally it's a reflection on all the men who have come before yeah um yeah yeah so but it's 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 that same sort of argument when you know you talk about male privilege and and the whole privilege kind of dispute comes up and it's like no one is saying that you personally are more privileged than everyone else like in this this category of person it's like no that's it's not the case no one is pointing the blame at you and not mm. saying that you are personally more privileged it's just that your life experiences uh have made certain things easier than someone else who's gone through the same route but um you know as was born a different gender or a different color or a different different whatever you know mm-hmm. it's um you it, know it's i think people are very quick to take it as a personal vendetta against them as a person or or even like you know people who kind of anti-feminist because they take it as a personal vendetta against men and it's it's it, you know there might be a small faction of of women who uh, kill all men it's like yeah but that again that's like that would be the equivalent of everyone thinking that every single man is a rapist like it's just not the case it's just hmm. it's, it's crazies everywhere so you've got to you know navigate that <laughs> but sort of us, we have our crazies too <laughs> sure. oh, yeah <laughs> but it's as you say it's, it's not taking it personally and just kind of um uh you know as as a guy you've got to kind of remember it's like you've never been a woman so you can't expect to understand how they've traversed through life and you can't expect to understand why uh they may feel that some things have been easier for you and and you you know it's it's like with uh you know someone who's gone through uh some kind of harassment sexual or or otherwise or worse you know 
the the starting point should just be well let's believe that that's happened like you know if, if women are saying on mass you know it's 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 harder for women to get into certain careers or go through certain kind of ways well if everyone's saying this on mass let's go from the starting point at least of going well let's believe them and let's see where this can be improved you know and how mm -hmm. we can make this better because um you know from my point of view like that we're missing out on half the world of talent you know it's it's if we're stopping from my industry point of view if we're stopping you know uh, purposely or not purposely or whatever the situation is if we're stopping um, uh, women and, and people identify as women and people identify as females coming into the industry for whatever reason we're stopping some very talented people and, and you, you know that more talent coming into the industry can only benefit everyone for sure you know, absolutely on that note I guess um, that's all for today <laughs> We should wrap this one up. So um, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Unboxing Women. And thank you, Matt, for coming on our show. We've had an thank absolute you. blast. It was very deep talk, but um, really interesting to hear your perspective on things. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I've uh, had fun. If you want to connect with Matt, be sure to check out his socials, which you can find in the show notes below. And uh, if you've ever had an experience you'd like to share with us, send us a DM or tag us in your post with the hashtag SuchAVitch. And don't forget to support your favourite artist through merch or donations. My name is Micah Rose. I've been chatting with Dana Rex and Matt Parisi. This is a weekly show, so make sure to tune back in next week. Same time, same place. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.